This is Linux Unplugged, Episode 3, for August 26, 2013. Welcome to Linux Unplugged. It is a ship that sails proudly without its rudder. We have lots of opinions, lots of emails, but no script, no plan of action. Just a couple of guys sitting around talking about Linux, hanging out with our community, and really debating the important things in life, like, you know, Linux. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey. So, um, I was going to ask you something before we got into all the Linux stuff. Oh, yeah. Now, where do you fall on the Star Trek fandom scale? Like, are you a pretty big Star Trek guy, or do you kind of, like, you know, you know about the cultural references, but not much further than that? I'm not, like, hard, hardcore, but I would say that I'm definitely well-versed, and I'm a big fan. Okay. I, to put, I mean, let me put it this way. What was I the last tolerate, series you actively watched? Well, I tolerate Voyager. Oh, my gosh. Tells, okay, that was so my I, next question. And see, that's, that's, that tells you by using the word tolerate yeah. that I'm a fan. <laughs> I know exactly where you're at. I'm dialed yeah. in now. Okay. So you did. Did you watch it while I was on the air, or have you gone back and, like, Netflixed it? I went back. I actually got more out of it Netflixing the entire series going back to, yep. Yep. you know, pre-Kirk Pike yep. and all the way up. Oh, right? wow. So that, so that I mean, you got to do it right. I have, a, I, have a, I have a dream of a podcast, and there's already a podcast out there doing it. I mentioned it, actually, in the Unplugged. That's why I'm not – that's why I just let it go. But I would love the idea of doing a podcast that just reviews every single Star Trek episode from the beginning. And it's interesting you say that because I started and I've been rewatching the original uh, the original series uh, like, you know, one one episode a week. I'll, I'll, like, I'll find a time where I'm working late and I'll just put it on and it's, it's a great companion show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started picking up on Voyager again. And, uh, you know, when you can, when you can back to back Voyager, it's kind of like lost. Like I did not yeah. like lost, um, when I had to wait a week in between big reveals, Exactly. but when I can just like pop on the next one, I'm like, Oh, that's not so bad. It's like the stakes aren't so high. It, it, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it because for me, the first season of Voyager was just painful. Um, then once the characters really came into their own. You know, and especially Neelix. That was kind of my uh, Jar Jar Binks oh, yeah. character. I oh, was really yeah. having a hard time with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. After a while, I really came to you know, I uh, I, I really kind of kind of grew onto the whole Talaxian mindset. Oh, you really did. You actually, yeah, you know, he, he's he kind of like you know, he's he's got he's weird, but he's got wisdom going. Yeah. On, well, after know? Kess leaves the ship, he's his his anxiety anxiety is kind of dialed down. He's not quite as obnoxious. That was what needed to happen. Kess yeah. was a great character, but she was a little yeah. not appropriate for the for that particular series, I don't think. Right, right. Well, I love the chat room. They've locked in on that. I said we import, we discussed the important things in life like Linux. And <laughs> so, of course, they've immediately started debating which distro is the best. Now, uh, <laughs> of course, the big part of Linux Unplugged is the fact that we are live. Uh, right. And so to, to sort of jar everybody, now that we've got a mumble server set up, now that we've got live people showing up, the best course of action would be to change the day we're doing the show on. That's the, that is the best thing to do at that point. <laughs> now you've got everything nice and Always. locked in. Yep, yep. So uh, we're going to move uh, the uh, Linux Unplugged live recording to Tuesdays at 2 p.m. So same bat time, same bat channel, just a different bat day. And it'll be tomorrow, only next week, because we're not doing two shows this week. So next Tuesday, we'll be live at 2 p.m. Plan B is on break until the end of September-ish. So I'm using that slot, and that kind of gives me some more free time to take care of some biznass in the Monday afternoon time. 
Good stuff. Good yeah. times. I'm all about the business. So uh, quick update. We do now have a working Mumble server. Uh, the issue was the Mumble server was working last week, but I had grabbed the Git version of Mumble from the Arch user repo. Oh, that'll get you. Yeah, the server was like, nope, too new of a version. So, uh, you know, Pagman makes it crazy easy to downgrade. You just essentially give it the other package name, the non-Git version. It says, oh, well, I'm going to need to remove the Git version first. And I say, yes, yes, you may remove the Git version. And it just pulls off the Git version and pulls down right. the regular version. And I was up in business. So now we've got a working mumble room. we got people in the Woo-hoo. lobby. And we've got a spot people who can jump in and chat with us if they want. If they want to interrupt the show. No, I'm kidding. We, we hope they do interrupt as we go. <laughs> I'm sure that is going to do just fine. And I'm glad we got the mumble server working. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So folks can join us live and then they can actually get in the show. And it's kind of like calling in only using all open source software. Uh, And another big thing we're doing, and I don't know if I mentioned this in the show, is uh, so the good side is that more of Linux Unplug is essentially everything right now except for the actual part that's streaming out to the Internet is running on Linux. So we're doing the whole show on Linux. All the audio is being produced on Linux. Um, I'm cutting and shipping the video on a Mac, but that's just kind of like, it's almost just like, it's like a, you know, like a little quick, little quick, quick. It's a little workhorse thing, you know? Um, It's because it's not really any editing involved. Uh, So, uh, but uh, the rest is all being done on the uh, GNU slash Linux. You guys might be familiar with this. It was an operating system created about uh, 21, 22 years ago by uh, Richard King Stallman. Um, Are are you familiar with Richard King Stallman? I am familiar with uh, Mr. Stallman. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He created the, uh, the, uh, the BSD kernel that GNU slash Linux runs on. And uh, <laughs> I just put it up where I can push this until the chat room loses it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, come unglued. so we'd love to have you join us that way you can uh, talk about this. But all right, I want I have a couple of things from last week's episode. I just thought maybe I'd just chat yeah. about with you, see what you thought. So you remember, you remember yesterday, right before the show started, I went out to the garage and I logged into my machine and my KDE session just totally dumped on me. It went poo-poo. It right? was not a pleasant thing. And then for, for people watching and listening to the released version of the Linux Action Show, all they get is Matt and Chris griping about KDE, but they never know like why, why we were upset, right? Like we exactly. just were making offhanded comments about KDE being crap and we didn't actually like because if you weren't watching live, you didn't you didn't know that part. Well, the live chat room, um, specific, you know, Blackout24 was awesome, and other folks, too, pointed me in the direction of uh, a different couple of options to resolve the problem. During the show, I just backed up my .kde4 directory and started anew and logged in with a totally reset KDE setup. Which is certainly a definite fix. I mean, it yeah, allows it got you to start right? fresh. Yeah, I, w- yeah, I was able to do that between show segments, and that was something. Right. Uh, so then, um, through, through, through the links in the, in the Linux action show subreddit, I got, I dug through the, uh, uh, arch form and kind of zeroed in on where the particular problem is. So first, the last action I took before I had any problems with KDE and KDE not logging is I updated python-sip, python-pyqt4, python2-sip, and python2-pyqt4. So a couple of python qt things were updated. Then I rebooted like a day later after running, you know, for a while and then logged in and boom. Yep. I, was like, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I even did an update. Um, and, of course, the error that would kick back at me was uh, executable error, plasma desktop, signal segmentation fault, you know, without and no, no further information. The desktop would flash a few times and I'd just be SOL. But, you know, I got uh, people in the chat room said, all right, move that .kd4 folder. So I did that. And then I debated... It looks like if I would specifically remove the .kde4 slash share slash config slash plasma folder, 
Like I didn't have to remove the whole KDE folder. I could have gone just that plasma folder. Yeah, I could have right. gone three levels deep, removed just that, and I would have not had nearly as much stuff reset to default and gotten to my desktop and then been able to kind of recover because whatever was causing that would have been resolved. Now this is KDE four dot one one, the latest. Well, it's, it's a good experience in that you were able to learn from it and say, oh, okay, well, now I know that if it works later. Yeah, I don't no totally understand what caused it, but I, I do know, like, I see now how to fix it. And, right. um, it, you know, that, that, that KD4 directory structure is actually pretty straightforward. And also bear in mind, uh, folks, when this is your production machine, it's kind of a big problem when that happens midstream, mid-show, mid, you know, you're getting ready to do something, whatever it may be. Um, that, that's definitely kind of an anxiety thing. You know? Yeah, you know, it was a little like, oh man, now great that you know I could just log into GNOME, and a lot of folks in the uh, in the chat room and some folks in the subreddit were saying, oh, it's video card driver, got to be video card driver. Mm, not necessarily. Know, I don't yeah. know if it was right because a I didn't upgrade the video card driver there, and I thought I was saying on the live stream that I had just upgraded my kernel, but that actually was not true. I had not. Right. Act- I, it was an upgrade that was pending, but I had not actually gone through with the upgrade yet. Uh, so I don't think it was graphics drivers related and because gnome shell worked and uh, strike suit zero was working just fine. I don't think it was that. I don't think it was. And, and as you, I think the key, you know, kind of a troubleshooting one one point of th- thing you pointed out is that I did not change the graphics driver. So, my, you know, erring on the side of obvious here, you know, if you didn't change the driver, it's probably not the graphic card. You yeah. know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. like, yeah. so, you know, so I think for folks to say it's the graphics driver, if it hasn't changed, nothing was executed to cause an issue in that space so yeah clearly we gotta gotta you know catch it it's get along as far as in that one directory got it backed up now you know what to back up in the future and right. you're good to go yeah so. i should just make a backup of my dot kd4 <laughs> directory right um and so but i decided to go the boss level route and i just rm rf the whole kde4 folder i said to hell with precision so that put right. me back at square one with my kde config now i did something different this time okay so here's the reason too uh because i got i got logged in and i sat down and I needed to get immediately to work on last. Like I thought about it and I thought, okay, I could spend 20 minutes. Like, but, then but it that, never works out that way. Right, yeah, you right. get sucked into it. That's true. And it also like it pushes, it would push like the, the whole release of last out, like everything, like when you delay at that, at that level, sort of like compounds because a bunch of different actions then take place later than they should. And so it's like, uh, no, I'm just going to get right to work. And so I just sat down and started encoding video and working on the art and all that kind of stuff immediately. And so and I thought, well, you know, while the video is encoding, uh, the Bonobo is so is so damn fast that I am encoding HD X264 and I got it ripping on all cores. And meanwhile, I'm like mm, burp, 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 installing updates. I'm back in I'm back in a Packer and I'm installing more Arch updates and I'm configuring all my stuff. And what I decided to do this time, Matt, is I'm not going to try to keep things default. See, my first You're time not. on KDE, okay. I was like, keep everything default and only change the stuff that really grades on me. But what that what that causes to happen is I don't make the change until I'm really annoyed at something. And then I'm like, True. I got to go change that. So, so basically, instead of being reactionary to it, you're actually pl- you're trying to map out something that's going to provide yeah, you with I'm the just, experience you want. I'm going to yeah. say, you know what? I need to customize it and I'm going to embrace that. So what mm-hmm. I did this time, so the first of all, that took off this whole like, uh, judginess that I had, like, you know, is this the way I want it? Just got rid of all of that because when at a stock KDE, I'm very judgy. You know, default KDE, I'm, I'm full <laughs> of judginess. So I opened up the system settings app and I just went down every single icon row by row by row until I had changed every setting the way I want it. And by the time I was through most of that settings application, I was pretty much done. And this nice. time around, 
my KD setup is even more amazing than before, and I really love it. Like, I thought I liked my old setup, and I that's, remember, I was kind of bummed, right? I was kind of like, oh, man, I can't oh, yeah, believe I lost. Totally. No, man, I like my new setup way more. I went a little simpler. You know, I'm not trying to do, like, the launcher icons and all that kind of stuff like I was trying sure. to do with the Unity stuff. I went, no, I'm just, I'm going, I actually took your advice, Matt. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm going this I'm, it's not I'm not using snaps I'm using the built-in K runner launcher thing. Good. Okay. But I'm just saying I'm going to just launch everything with keyboard commands so that way like I don't get muscle memory about where an icon is. And then exactly. if, and then later when I finally get frustrated and switch to XFCE, I'll just load up Synapse. Yeah. And I'm good to go. That's what did it for me. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with this, I use Snaps in the fact that I don't – as long as it's Linux and I have that installed, it, I honestly don't care what the desktop environment is that much because I don't launch anything from anything else other than that. It's also how I find my documents and find pretty much everything. Yeah. It's how I manage my desktop. I don't, I don't have to know where anything is. I just start typing. That was one of the things that bugged me on GNOME was that uh, I felt like the launcher only being able to search applications in this day and age was yeah. old. Like. I'm used to my launcher and be able to search document names. So if I have like a notes file that I type stuff into frequently, uh, you know, I can I can pull that up just like I'm, I can pull up an application. Exactly. Um, so we got a lot of feedback on a lot of things from yesterday's episode of uh, Linux Action Show. But maybe we could start with the GNOME 3 stuff because that seemed to be the stuff that really pissed people off. The oh, yeah. I yeah. think that's a great place to start, actually. Um, I'm, see, I'm going to go – I'm digging – maybe should we start at the highs? That would be the YouTube. Which yeah, I, by high, yeah, I mean low. start with that. Uh, so um, I'm going to dig through here. Uh, here's a good one from uh, Chili Di Peroni. Um, Matt, shut the fuck <laughs> up about a doc. You know, and that's a fair statement. It's like, okay, clearly this is someone that really loves docs. No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah, I totally yeah. get it. No, okay, so you-, you know, you are right. <laughs> you are right. It, that doc is like old. And you see, what I don't yeah. know if people know about is Dell made an entire ultra book <laughs> that was cordless. Like even the, like yeah. you could hook it up to a doc. Oh, okay. I had a doc, but it was a cordless doc. So you'd set this Dell ultra book on top of this base station, but there was no wires and it would do USB, Bluetooth, uh, video, external video, everything, charging, yeah. everything, no wires. So you're not yeah. crazy. And, and so that's, that would be more, see, for me, it's, it, it's a matter of, I'm trying to actually look at this as progress and asking me to use technology that granted it's doing something new and compelling and exciting. And I think that's great. I don't want a dock. I want to use technology that I already use on Android. I don't want to step backwards because for me personally, I don't personally really see how a dock is fun or I, it just, it sucks. It sucks. I'm sorry, dude. It sucks. I just, there's no way around it. I can't make it not suck. And so for me, it's like, I don't want, now I know there are people that are okay with it. That's great. You, you, you go dock it up. Go dockety dock dock. All right. Now, but, yeah, no, no. Thank all right. You. What about this stinging critique uh, on our uh, evaluation <laughs> of GNOME 3? Here we go. Uh, Damn Harem writes, seriously, stop whining about GNOME, you retards. It's the best desktop <laughs> environment out there. Everything you see on screen is configurable with JavaScript. Use your shared right. GNOME shell utils.js. 
Two, I give him points for sticking up for obviously sticking up for a desktop. He is very passionate about. That's fine. No problems there. Um, you know, I only will gripe about something if I care. If I don't care, here, here's a little tidbit you guys may not know. If I'm not complaining about it, it's not because I don't have an opinion. It's because it's I'm not emotionally invested in it. I may still care to a degree, but I'm not emotionally invested in it. If I'm ripping on GNOME, it's because I want them to not suck. I want them to do awesome things because I know they can. They have been in the past. They probably will in the future. It's not happening right now, though. Yeah, and That's I think all. we're just critical of this you know? philosophy of... Yeah. Uh, now, one of the things we got as feedback, legitimate <laughs> feedback about the GNOME stuff, uh, I thought was from uh, like Olek here in the, uh, in the uh, Linux Action Show subreddit feedback thread. He says, mm-hmm. a little harsh in the show today about GNOME, yeah, uh, but okay. I don't think it went over the limit. As far as I know, GNOME Maps is mostly a Google Summer of Code project, so it's been done by a few new faces in the GNOME Linux community. I kind of speculated yeah. about that in the show. Remember, I was like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there had to be a reason for it, but yeah. it is kind of a slap upside the head with a brick, though, when you say, oh, look what I can do on my KDE desktop with the globe. Oh, hey, we got maps on GNOME. You know, you're going to go, you're, people are going to come to that conclusion without our help. They just will, you know, so we're yeah. just kind of helping that along. So uh, they say, he says it's still lacking planned functionality since the new geolocation tech just landed recently. He includes some screenshots. Uh, he says the ones in the blog post that we looked at were already outdated. He also wanted to point out that while we were poking fun at the display manager in GNOME, he then links uh, a picture of the KDE one, which looks like a train wreck. Like it looks oh, like it? a train okay. wreck hit a you. I mean, it's just awful. But I mean, come on, comparing something to KDE like that's not really a fair comparison. He says, there's lots of stuff in GNOME developers are working on at the moment. Many of them are going to be landed in GNOME 3.10, like the high DPI, CSD, Wayland support, OS tree, free desktop.org application installer, sandboxing, etc. All those technologies or features are going to be available for Cinnamon, Elementary, and many other desktops automatically. Your show your way, but I'm still a little disappointed at the way GNOME was presented sometimes. It gets criticism from the exact same things that other desktops get praises. But anyway, very good overall, interesting discussion. Now, do you think that last part is true? Do you think we criticize? Oh, I think it was extremely fair, but I, but I would asterisk, put an asterisk on that in saying that personally myself, and I don't know about you, I wasn't aware of any of that other stuff. I, I, have, no, I have no knowledge of it. And maybe the reason why I wasn't aware of it is not so much that I wasn't trying to find it. It's just that it's not a visual thing you can point to. You can't say, yeah. I see the sandbox or I see that. Right. Visual and we stuff, mentioned like it, the, you know, the yeah. Wayland stuff was a footnote in that blog right. post. And you're right. It's a hard thing to, to visually show. But I would love – now, here, let's put this out for the known guys. If any of you guys are listening, we'd love to interview you and talk about how awesome those back-end things because that's something we can then wrap our heads around because we can't really visualize what that's going to be like otherwise without some, you know, without some context. Yeah, yeah. I'd, um, I'd love that. I think that'd be cool. I, I, I'm looking forward to the next few years as, as really Wayland hits. I think mm-hmm. that we're going to see some interesting stuff. We're going to see people break uh, with some of the old and go with new technologies, and we'll see where things shake out. Um, I think at the end of the day, my overall anxiety for the uh, GNOME desktop and why I, it's, it's ironic. I was paranoid that a, a Arch update would break a GNOME shell because I had one, one shell break and it made my mm. session crash. So I stopped using GNOME. And then, of course, right. a few weeks later, KD broke on me after an update. <laughs> ironic. Right. And I had to log into GNOME to get any work done. And then it becomes a matter of really it wasn't a matter of a GNOME or KDE fault. It's just that's the nature of the upgrade process. Yeah. And sometimes things happen. And I, yeah. you know, I, I want to live with cutting edge software, so I'm mm-hmm. cool with that. But sure. So maybe I have been too hard on GNOME. It's only because I've, I, I've, I, I know I touched on it in the show yesterday. I just feel like it's heavy handed vision. 
It is. And see, part of it is I come from a gnome two mindset. I, I as boring as sin as it was, I loved it because it was simple for a long time. And so my expectations are deeply rooted in in uh I don't know, a prejudice and hatred. I don't know if you want to call it that, but I, I definitely wasn't really a big fan of the whole Gnome 3 situation. I didn't like the direction. It really bothered me. I didn't feel like I was gaining something new or exciting from it. And at the time, I wasn't necessarily a big fan of KDE either, and that's what, of course, drove me to XFCE. And, you know, I've looked into Mate and other ones and, you know, whatever. But so, you know, I don't know. I, I, I have high hopes for Gnome. I'm not belittling them because I want to see them fail. I'm belittling them because I want to light a fire under their butts, and I want to learn more about those back-end features that I'm not hearing about. That's all. Blackout24 responded. He said, I do understand Chris's problem with the Gnome vision problem. Mm-hmm. We're Linux power users. We want powerful and a thought-through desktop. We don't care about having Gnome 3 on touch devices. Every move that shifts the balance towards mobile and therefore ruins the desktop will be met with criticism. Gnome is catering to a target group that doesn't even exist. They're just plain yeah. wrong. Imagine your parents would spend most of their time with imaginary invisible children instead of with you. Uh, that's just it. I mean, when I present various desktops to non-Linux users, I never, ever have had a person that, saw, that took a look at Gnome 3 and said, ooh, I like that. Most of them said, okay, what the hell? That How was generally the yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a use. I mean, they went from being the usability desktop to the what the hell desktop, and that's not and that's not to say they won't correct that. But right now, I'm just not feeling it, and most people that I know aren't either. So, you know, yes, sir. All right. So, uh, just one one last point. Uh, Blackout twenty four says that the reason why this might make someone angry is Linux has ten plus, you know, ten to the power of ten window managers and desktop environments. But let's face it. There's only three projects that have the manpower to deliver a desktop that is as polished enough to compete with the Windows and the Mac OS X. That's GNOME, KDE, and Unity. If one of them acts irrational, it pains us as Linux users. Just look at the GNOME weather app. Why on earth would someone want this on a desktop? <laughs> I have no idea. And that's, you know, it's, it's like, even if I try not to belittle the stuff, it's like, it, they do it for me. I mean, really. It's <laughs> like you don't want to criticize Jeez. someone's work because yeah. you really appreciate that people are getting out there and creating code and all of that. Sure. I guess if They're, it comes free, like if it's part of like a, you know, crazy Google's giving out Google bucks and, you know, just go out there and create some code that nobody needs. And then, you know, well, somebody created this and it's GTK and it's super minimal. So let's put it in GNOME. Is that what's happening? It seems like it. And, 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 you know, it's obviously stuff that they're passionate about. And a lot of times, a lot of open source projects are, in fact, derived based on personal needs. Someone needs something made for themselves, for their company, whatever it is, and they'll go out and create that. And that's fine. But yeah. it does feel like a lot of that mindset's being incorporated into GNOME and that almost the Shuttleworth style of I know best. And uh, if, you, if you don't see what I know and you don't understand why this is a benefit, screw you. You're broken inside and you don't understand. Um, you know, and then more power to them if that's their, their view of it. I, you know, for me, I'm just not able to fall in love with its current direction. I don't they're, – they're building a you know, four-touch interface that nobody wants. They're incorporating things that I don't understand. And the really cool stuff that this person listed off in the email earlier, I, I want to hear more about that. I want to see less – of the map thing, and I want to know more about the sandbox. I don't want to know more about all this stuff in the back end that does sound compelling, that yeah. does interest me. Yeah. That that sounds worthwhile. That has value yeah, I to agree. a lot of people. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, Blackout went on to make some really other great points. Uh, the chat room wants me to read his whole point, but it, you okay. know, I, I, I'll just say he's, he, it's, uh, it's, it's really good. I mean, he, he kind of points out 
you know, how people will say that it's not really designed for a touch UI, that it's not touch first, but it really is when you kind of consider I was going to say, that's frightening. If it's not, then my God, what are they? Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, he makes some good points about the notification area as well. Uh, so uh, I wanted to, uh, we have, I want to talk about the Broxmox project. They've just recently yeah. done an update that is not going very well for them. And we've covered Proxmox on the show. We've A lot of people, a lot of people have ended up using it because of our coverage. I was thinking about deploying it here at my house, kind of yeah. coming up. But now there's a bit of a road bump. I want to talk about that. Maybe we could also talk about um, some of our favorite ways to customize our desktops now that I just kind of got done tweaking my KDE setup. Yeah. And then DHVL in the subreddit has some tough questions for you and I about Canonical oh and Ubuntu. And, and we got a ton of BitMessage stuff. Like bit, the BitMessage stuff went over well and some people sent over some some really neat projects around Bitcoin. So we got some good stuff, Matt. But uh, before we go any further, I want to stop and thank our first sponsor this week, Ting. Ting. Ting.com is mobile that makes sense. And if you go to linux.ting.com, now this is a different code than for the big show, linux.ting.code.com, not co, dot com. And uh, this will get you $25 off your first device or your Ting service. Now, friends, you might say, Ting service, Chris, do tell me more. Well, Ting is pay for what you use and not a cent more. You don't end up putting a bunch of money into a big contract that you don't end up actually needing all of. And also, there's no bundling. There's no secret hidden things that show up on your bill. It's just what you use and any legal taxes Ting has to charge you. That's it. And on top of that, you also get things like, oh, hotspot and tethering. That's all fine and good. I really like Ting as a company that lets you either be completely hands-off completely hands-off or completely just dig in and get into the community aspect of things, get into the tech behind things. They've got resources for both sides of the camp. They also have some small business. If you've got maybe a group of people, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, more, Ting has some really innovative business, small business plans. You might want to go check out. Ting makes an excellent option for a small team. So go over to linux.ting.com and check out their rates. Check out uh, their payment calculator. You can go over there. They have a little savings calculator. You put in your bill into that. Tell that bad boy what's up, how much your bill is, and you'll see the savings. You'll be pretty shocked. And at that point, I think you're going to be compelled to go forward. Also, Ting just rolled out a brand new service where they'll go out and find you a refurbished Ting-compatible device. And when you use our uh, actually, it's a URL. We don't have a code. Linux.ting.com. You get $25 off that device. Boom! So and I'll uh, tell you, as someone who just recently has switched to Ting, I am amazed at how simple it was to set up, how easy it is to yeah. manage, and the fact that I know exactly what my bill is going to be based on what I do. It's totally in my ballpark. The dashboard is super easy to use, super straightforward. You go in there, you get gas gauges that tell you right where you're at, give you a visual representation. It's, it tells you right now, this is how much you're going to look at paying. Like if I go in there right now, it's like 16 bucks for me or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, same here. It's like yeah. literally, it's like 12 or 16 bucks. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. And uh, they have a bunch of really great devices, including the wonderful, magnificent Note 2 and HTC One. And I have it on, a little birdie tells me we're going to see some really exciting devices coming here very soon as well. Ooh. Yeah, uh, They've got a great deal right now on the uh, Samsung Galaxy S3 16 gig edition. This is unlocked. No contract. You own this. You are in complete control of the relationship with the mobile provider when you go this route. Think about the difference that is there. You know, I, I, it, it, I just have to put it in the stark, the stark terms that it is. In the traditional telco setup, you're essentially a victim. 
They lock you into this contract. They incentivize you with this phone that they subsidize to a lower price because they charge you so much mm-hmm. more than what it actually costs them to have you on as a customer. They make so much profit off you. They subsidize those cell phones to a lower rate. Right. When you when you buy in at that level, you always are behind the ball. You always are disadvantaged. The position of power is always held by the telco. Ting flips all of that on its head. You're in power. It's your phone. It's your contract. You own it, and you only pay for what you use. Go to linux.ting.com, and thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. I think that's what you really nailed it there is that you know, the other telcos have you in an, an enforceable contract. Now think about that. I mean, they can li- they're in control of when you are in or out of their uh, service. Yeah. Not you. And that sucks. And we've seen I mean, what they do I with that. Them. We've seen what they do with that. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. I, it's And that was what that is what makes me so nervous about payments going to phones. Like I know that's mm-hmm. a huge thing that Android wants to do with the Google Wallet. I'm sure Apple's going to do something. I'm sure Microsoft would if they could. And I I the anything that puts these I mean, the the telcos and the banks together, really? Like, that's something oh, yeah, we want? Like, bad. that sounds like the worst thing of all. Now, if only we could get a bunch of regulation involved, so the government's got a heavy <laughs> hand in it, too. Absolutely. Yeah, especially, really and we'll make sure that the people doing the regulations are the people that used to work in those industries. Right. Because that's important. Of course. That's really important. That way they have experience. Yeah. <laughs> and a vested interest. A cough, cough. Oh. Anyway. Um, all right. So uh, why don't we start with the Proxmox uh, stuff, because this is just kind of quick. Um, and I and the chat room is just saying, hey, you should mention this uh, uh, before the show. Uh, but we we do have a few folks in the on air channel, so I thought right. we'd go to them and see if anybody in the on air channel has anything they want to chime in with before we move on because it's an open floor right now, guys. Nice. Uh, they're probably listening on delay. Well, the, oh, go ahead, Lickety. Yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of weigh in on it, um, and I don't know if anybody's read the article uh, or any coverage of it yet, but they released 3.1, and what they changed is that you have to have a subscription in order to access the stable repo. Um, Does that mean you only uh, can use the beta version of Proxmox if you don't subscribe? Essentially, but the source is still available. So if you get the source, you can still compile it yourself and and do it that way. Um, you just won't have that that easy peasy you know access to the repo right from the get go once you put your subscription in there. And uh, and are you are you a Proxmox user? I am a Proxmox user. I've been running it for several months now, and I really like it. It's it's very easy to use and things like that. Um, uh, they've actually introduced a uh, subscription that's low enough it's meant for community users and it i believe it's 50 to 60 dollars annually um that Ooh. will give you access to the stable repo so if you don't really need you know um help or support and things like that you're capable of taking care of things on your own um you could just get this community subscription which in the long run isn't isn't terrible i believe xbox live costs more than that and um and you can still have access to the stable uh, repo and things like that. But the concern from the community seems to be that um, there's not a clear indicator as to what's going to go into the unstable repo mm. and what what people are going to lose. Um, so the, it seems like the devs are the one that are, that are handling the PR of this situation. And... Um, they're, they seem to be doing it poorly because their interaction within their forums uh, seem, seems to become more and more negative. And right now they need to uh, – it seems like they need to release something that is more clear-cut about wh- ha- what's going to happen to the 
community of people that don't pay for a subscription, but they really enjoy their product. So, Lickety, right. just so that I am kind of tracking you. So what you're saying, as an existing Proxmox user, if future updates right now, it looks like if you don't subscribe, will only be quote-unquote unstable updates. Am I following you? And, and, you're, and you don't actually know what is going to happen? That's that's what it seems like. Um, I haven't delved deep into it as to what the details. Uh, like, like I said, they haven't really come out with a lot of lot of information about what goes into the unstable. But if you had, let's say, a three installation right now, and you upgraded the three point one, you would lose the stable repo, and uh, you would only have the the PVE test or the the testing repo. And um, you, it, I don't know if you actually lose any features um, from three I don't I don't believe you do. Um, you just won't have the stable repo for you. So it sounds like you know best case scenario, the direction they're going, that you have a you have a working setup. They offer an upgrade. If you choose not to do a subscription, you're either basically stuck with what you have, or you can then go to source, or basically end up in beta. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Hmm. Okay, wow, wow. Yeah, so it sounds like too hmm. that, uh, and now this sometimes happens. It's kind of hard to read, but they say that uh, you, you yeah, over on their official forums, the developers are the like uh, Lickety said are the ones that they're interacting with. And sometimes in the for- when the threads start to get a little hostile, they're shutting them down. That's not too uncommon. And that's the wrong approach. See, one of the gigs that I work is I'm the guy that works uh, in between developers and the community, and that's bad. You don't do that. <laughs> you never do that. You have, a, you have a dialogue with those folks. Even if they're ripping you a new one, have the dialogue. Get it out in the open. Talk about it. Don't hide it. Don't run away from it. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. 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 Don't do that. All right. Uh, any, any other uh, thoughts here in the uh, on-air channel? The floor is open. Going once. Going twice. Okay. All right. Well, I'll leave the oh. channel. I'll leave the channel open if somebody's on delay and they and they want to uh, tune in. Well, uh, I, I appreciate you guys bringing the uh, Proxmox stuff to our attention because yeah, we've covered yeah. them and be uh, thinking about uh, running it here at my house because right now I have two uh, physical machines and I have uh, VirtualBox headless on one of them, mm-hmm. and I would like to maybe just consolidate down to one physical machine and go Proxmox. And uh, say goodbye to VirtualBox and say goodbye to Two Machines because when it's warm out, it is a real pain in the ass to have all these computers on. <laughs> oh, yeah. It just bake you alive out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Before we get to the KDE custom or just desktop customization stuff, uh, let's let's clear out the canonical stuff. Let's get, let's, let's get this done with. We talked a lot about Ubuntu Touch yesterday and specifically the Ubuntu Edge campaign. Right. And I, I thought we had some good points on there. And overall, pretty good, pretty good feedback. Some people thought we were a little hard. Um, DHVL in the uh, subreddit says the question is not simply about the Ubuntu Edge campaign Uh, I should say I'm an Ubuntu user I'm not an Ubuntu user I'm a Fedora 19 user with KD and I love it my question is what exactly is Canonical slash Ubuntu's focus right now consider this wow now this is kind of ironic now I'm not sure what he's about to say next Matt but I do find some irony in uh, a Red Hat user asking what another (laughs) distro's focus is but I mean, a Fedora user, but that's okay. I don't, no judge. No judge. Uh, Fedora is a Red Hat testbed for new technologies. Oh, see, they hate it when you call it that. And Red Hat is going to use, that Red Hat is going to use for enterprise Linux. OpenSUSE is a distro that is perfect for KDE and has good security, and it has YAS2, which is one of the best GUI configuration tools ever. Arch yep. Linux is for uh, uh, Linux users who don't mind any amount of hassle and want bleeding edge software and like to have a fully customized distro. But what the hell is Ubuntu for? I can't say it's for new users because Unity's not really all that user-friendly. Neither can I say it's good for introduction to Linux because, well, no other distro that I know of 
uses Upstart or Unity or PPAs or any of that stuff. Oh, so it's not good for learning other cross skills, I guess. It's not. And if you guys haven't seen it yet, a really good video to watch is Chris Perillo's dad uses Ubuntu. And that is a great example of what you were just saying as far as it's not really a great distribution for new users because they don't know where the hell to find anything. They It's something that gets activated. They don't know how to deal with it or how to get out of it or minimize it or whatnot. Um, yeah, I'd say that's uh, pretty spot on. Ubuntu is definitely kind of losing its edge there. Ah. I, I, I've parked people in front of. I mean, the video is compa- I, I was I was on your. I was with you until I saw that video, and it's like this is someone that's been using computers longer than a lot of our audience has been alive. So you well, know. okay, you're right. <laughs> I mean, so I would grant you if your only usability metric is how easy it is to figure out how to. Well, I mean, Unity's got that big old bar on the side with big old Firefox icon in there. Launching's easy. It's managing that can get a little weird. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, launching's brain dead simple. I mean, it's really, you know, it's not that hard to do. But yeah, I think it, where he really got lost is when you went into the, like the uh, multiple desktops, and he was trying to figure out how to get back. Now we, of course, know how to get out of that. But a lot of people are thinking, okay, what happened? Did I break something? What's what's going on with my display? They're ne- they've never seen it okay. before. All right. Yeah. So I think you got for that type of user. I think yeah, maybe yeah. your elementary OS might be a better route, right? Right. Your Pantheon desktop experience, as it were. Exactly. But I, then I look at you got your user who knows how to use the computer. Sure. And they're comfortable enough, maybe like maybe they've set up a printer before, you know, that kind of level of user, mm-hmm. right? Okay, sure, sure. I feel like for them, Ubuntu is the quote unquote easiest distribution to use because there's such a broad amount of resources out there for somebody making the transition, somebody new. There's so much. There's Ask Ubuntu. There's OMG Ubuntu. There's all of the you know web update. All of the different sites out there that tailor to Ubuntu users. How do you do this? Click this button. Install this software. Copy these commands. Not necessarily always the greatest advice, but very straightforward for anybody that has at least savvy enough to craft a half reasonable Google response. You know they're gonna get well, they're gonna get instructions. Yeah, they will. When I used to regularly update my matthartley.com website. Most of the people I had coming in were were refugees from bad advice from the Ubuntu forums. Um, the advice that a lot of the, a lot of the people were getting there was so overcomplicated, overdone, overbaked, burnt, bad advice that it about made me cry. Yeah. So you know, so there's that, and then on top of that fact, you know, putting the putting the community totally aside, I'm not ranking in the community. I'm saying there's a lot of very active people that don't know what they're talking about. On top of that, the fact that the desktop is constantly evolving, I, I think it was the next release of Ubuntu that Unity is almost unusable. This is a problem. This is yeah. this for and new so, users is a huge issue. And, you know, the reputation is – so uh, I, I watched this. Um, there I am, Sunday. I'm editing the Linux Action Show. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I pull up uh, Uncle Leo and <laughs> I'm watching what uh, Lapperty's doing during his, uh, during his, uh, interna- inter- uh, his uh, national uh, radio show, right? And – he gets um, the Dell, uh, the Dell Ultrabook that runs uh, the Linux, the made by oh the uh, Sputnik or the yeah yeah the, yeah the, made by Dell for developers, yeah. right? So yeah. he gets that thing. He opens it up, puts it on his desk. He's got the IRC <laughs> chat room going right there on his screen, and immediately before dude is even logged into his brand new Sputnik chat room, starts telling him, "Get rid of Unity. Unity's no good. Can't use <laughs> Unity." And Leo's like, "Oh, I got to get rid of Unity. Well, so what do I do?" So. Right. First thing he does, dude, first thing he does, he opens up the terminal sudo app get Zubuntu desktop. And so then he installs his Zubuntu desktop on top of the standard Ubuntu desktop, which is not exactly perfect. It's pretty messy, yeah. And then he just logs out and starts using it, never even bothers. Like he got through the intro video that Dell puts <laughs> on there and then closed it. And so then caller calls up, you know, 
few days, few, few weeks later. I can't remember this. I think so. He, I think he got this Sputnik like this was months ago. And then I was watching Lapperty this last Sunday. Caller calls in because it was a Linux birthday, and he says, yeah. "Hey Leo, I'm thinking about getting a computer to run Linux. What do you think?" And Leo oh, says, no. "Gosh, I tell you, I bought the Dell Linux laptop." And it was such a horrible, out-of-the-box experience. First of all, it oh, comes no. with this desktop environment that Canonical's made that nobody likes. He never even tried it. He says nobody right. likes This is on a – he says multiple – he says million listeners, international radio right. show, and he says, so don't buy the Sputnik laptop. Just go buy a Windows laptop and put Linux on there if you want. That's not Which necessarily – absolutely wrong on every possible level. It's not, it's, yeah. it's, the problem is – the problem is it's not necessarily based on any actual practical use. Right. It's based on like this – folklore that happens so often on the internet this this it folklore where we pass mm. legends on to each other about something and we just accept it <laughs> so i guess my point is is i oh, i feel like i feel like maybe cinnamon maybe you know maybe elementary that, os is a better new user desktop just because well, it's more familiar yeah, yeah I, I agree with that see this is this is the rub i don't hate Canonical. I don't hate Ubuntu. I don't. I dislike Unity for the direction it's going. See, I, again, people tend to like run hot and cold when when I'm when I'm explaining this. I want to be clear on this. I don't hate Unity. I hate where Unity's headed. It's current Unity on twelve ten. I, I could you know it's it's a very nice desktop. I have no problem with it. It works fine. Um, but I think where it's headed is it's heading in a very bumpy beta like direction that's not going to give a good experience to people. Now Leo, of course, is just talking out of his. Uh, his backside on that because he's not tried it and it was just basically going based on community feedback and that's unfortunate. But I think that the Ubuntu core itself when you are free to try out Cinnamon, you're free to try out these other desktops or even try other related distributions is actually a very solid experience. It really is. Now again, do I hate Unity? Absolutely not. Do I hate where Unity is headed? Yes. Current Unity 12.10 I'm, you know, it's very comfortable 13, desktop. 10. Works very. Yeah, thirteen oh, ten. Oh, twelve ten. You know, twelve oh four, twelve ten's fine. Yeah, twelve ten introduced the Amazon stuff. Yeah, I think I'm running. What the heck? Am 1304, I running? 1304 was probably I thought one of their best implementations. Yeah, I think no, that's what I'm running. I'm sorry, it's thirteen oh four. I get all their numbers and names all mixed up because I got all the weird stuff going on. But yeah, so I'm running thirteen oh four. I just checked. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's I, uh, I it's guess. I, I want to toss it to the to the uh, mumble uh, room. I, I see that uh, Riley just joined us, and uh, we have a few other folks. And I don't know if you guys in there have any thoughts on. So, I do you mumble folks? Do you agree with uh, DVH on the uh, subreddit that Canonical is lacking focus for Ubuntu? They, he, his argument and uh, his is that they're not focusing enough on the desktop. Matt's argument: the desktop isn't user friendly enough anymore. Anybody in the mumble room want to agree or disagree? Yeah, yeah, I'll give an opinion. Um, I've been um, I tend to be the IT people for friends and fa- IT person for friends and family, so I end up, you know, um, say, handing out USB sticks with Linux on it and trying to get people to install it when they're complaining about it's not working right or so forth because Windows is sort of just messy and I don't like <laughs> dealing with so it. Like yeah, it. yeah. So, yeah. So what I end up gravitating to is trying to get people on Linux Mint. It has a very easy interface, which I would say is, I would say it's a lot like XP or where XP would be if they built on top of it and stuck very closely with it. And I've heard other people sort of say, sort of say similar things to that effect. Right. And yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, and with and after and for me, I used to use Ubuntu. 
and um, about when they and the I'm sorry I'm not structuring my sentences very well but when they introduced the Amazon lenses in um, the Unity HUD that sort of I lost my faith in Ubuntu as a distribution to deliver a trustable distribution I thought that was I thought you know you're you're trying to market towards me you know it's enough to put a big button in your application asking for donations that's fine but to actually put marketing I mean that would be the equivalent of in the Windows 8 start menu you had like Google ad boxes yeah I mean I think that's just ridiculous and I jump ship I gotcha uh, anyone else want to uh, chime in uh, yeah um, go ahead Corn. I was just gonna say that uh I, I used to be a, a big, long-time uh, Ubuntu user back, like, what, maybe 1010 at least. Before they went to Unity, I didn't like Unity so much back then when it first came out. I think, like, when 1204 hit, I went ahead and I went tried to do the whole Unity thing. I didn't like it so much. Um, but if I were to, I guess, say, suggest a, a Linux distribution for some first-time users, I personally would choose Zorn OS. Because, yeah, it is based off, you know, a derivative of Ubuntu. But it's just sure. more, like, window user-friendly. And I yeah. I had someone had a computer problem where their hard drive was going bad. I later found that out. And uh, <laughs> I didn't really want to install Windows because, obviously, I didn't own Windows. And I didn't have anything free. So I was like, I'll just sneak a Windows-like clone on there. And I threw Zone RS on her. Dude had no idea what, what what it was. He thought it was like some new version of Windows, and he was like, "Oh, and there's an app store. This is amazing. That's awesome." Right. Yeah, Matt. Remember, what Zorn OS was the one we looked at, where it's like, "Which right. UI would you like to emulate? Mac, Windows, Windows XP?" That was kind of a. Yep. It was like, "Oh yeah, this is totally for Windows converts." So, uh, nice one, Corn. That sounds exactly what it's. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's a great example. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Riley? Um, yeah, I'd actually take that a step further and even say Manjaro is easier than Ubuntu. Whoa! Because now... when you think about it. Hey, when you think about it, Manjaro, you never have to reinstall. It comes with all your proprietary codecs and your graphics card support. And on top of that, you got the AUR. I would, I would add to that. I would say that, yes, I'm, I'm running Manjaro full-time, and I'm, I'm very happy with it. I would say that if, based, being honest, and I used to do support people that knew nothing about computers. I used to teach classes on this stuff. I, I'm fairly familiar with people that know nothing of PCs. If it's set up for them... Absolutely, 120% agree with you. Gosh, that's it's, XFCE? That is the best-looking yeah, XFCE yeah, I what, have ever seen. Yeah. Wow. And that's Plus, not even with the, the dog. Thing, yeah. The thing about using something like Mijaro, too, is <laughs> the forums and community. Oh, If man, you no add kidding. something in the Ubuntu forums, good luck. I remember, Matt, you said something about this a while back on the last, I think it was like during the Archer view, but if you add something in the Ubuntu forums... Dude, you got 20 different people telling you to do something different. <laughs> Conflicting <laughs> yeah. advice, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on Manjaro or Arch, like, it's this way, and that's pretty much it. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I would totally agree with that, because for me, I've actually looked at setting up Manjaro on some computers for family members with me setting it up so I know that they're not having to try and figure out why uh, Pac-Mac is doing something weird or whatever. You know, there's little bugs that come along because it's still, still a little bit beta to a degree. But um, it's a really good distribution once it's set up. Um, and what's cool is if you outgrow the GUI stuff and you want to just roll Pac-Man and do a, you know, just go straight terminal, you can do that too. It works really well. Uh, and, of course, you get your Arch repos. Now, i got to state this for the record. 
Manjaro is not Arch. It's based on Arch. It's a, it's, you know, I want to be very clear on that. So it's a very, very, very different experience for very, very different goals. But it's a great distribution, and I'm really happy with it. And you do have the regular straight up. I mean, it has the AUR, right? So you've got. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can, anything you do on Arch uh, package wise is doable on Manjaro. Absolutely. So I keep thinking if I have to reload, I'm either going to try Antergros or however you say it, and Man, or Manjaro, but I'm not sure which one. I don't know. I mean, I might I just go straight Arch again, but I, you guys, everybody keeps raving about these. I want to just see them. I want to try it. See if it really um, does break. On the, of course, on Manjaro, they actually have the wiki on the CD mm-hmm. itself. So you don't have That's to right. go to a website to view the wiki. It's all on a um, oh. PDF document on a CD. Ooh. And it's got Ubuntu-style hardware detection, too. I mean, there's no I, – I don't do anything hardware-wise. The, the only thing that was a little funky was the printer setup, and that was just my own idiocy. Um, <laughs> that, that was, it was literally just a, a forehead slap later, and I was fine. <laughs> but, yeah, it, generally speaking, there's going to be some bumps when you first install up until you get a package update. Uh, Pac-Mac might throw up an error or whatever. Just go to the forms. You know, you'll, you'll have it straightened out in no time. But once you get it set up, yeah, I, it's great because I'll never again have but to for a new squat. user, Matt? For a new user? For a, for a new yeah. user, if it's set up for them. That's the, that's the key factor. Once it's set up, you're fine. I've not what? had one problem. Setting what? it up, no. Absolutely not for a new user. But I'd say, you know, at least, well, right. unless they're like a, maybe an experienced Linux user and that from coming from a. I mean, if we're, these, these mythical new users we always talk about, yeah. are, I mean, if they. There's two types, though. There's the new to Linux and then there's the I can run yeah, Windows kind of. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean? And, I, you know, one, one category, though, isn't going to be able to install a distro no matter how easy it is because they probably couldn't, they can probably barely install Windows software. Exactly. And so that, and that, of course, is your category if you're installing it for them. And you would with Windows anyway. So my, my philosophy is if you're installing Windows for them, you're mm. going to install Manjaro for them. If they're installing Ubuntu themselves, they can probably install Manjaro just fine. I wouldn't say there's really a big deal there. Huh. Interesting. All right, guys. Yeah. Well, uh, before we go to our next topic, and so uh, 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 Mumble Room, if you guys uh, want to uh, think about something for your – if anybody sure. has something they want to say, think on that. Take a, take a quick uh, uh, break, though, because I want to thank our second sponsor this week, mm-hmm. and that is Unity Sync from Directory Wizards. Now, Matt, back in the day. Back in the day, Matt. <laughs> back in the day. Uh, I, so I, ha- I worked two types of jobs that dealt with this issue where you have these – well, we called them data islands. I don't know if that's what the kids call them anymore, Matt, but a data island was one of these situations where you had an application – that had its own directory, maybe a database server, maybe an LDAP, maybe it's an access database, all kinds of stuff. You'd have one one server that has this for like this application and one server that has it for another application. And the two types of jobs where that I ran into this all the time, I happened to do this kind of work for a very long time, so it was a constant struggle. I worked at a bank that was constantly buying smaller banks, and these smaller mm-hmm. banks always had their own systems, always, always. And I worked as an IT contractor, and I was constantly going in right after a merger, and the IT guy had quit or been fired. And there was always data islands. I mean, I lived this problem that Unity Sync solves for so long. So what is Unity Sync? It's a centralized service that synchronizes data between directories. So think LDAP, maybe Exchange LDAP, uh, e-directory. I mean, we're talking all of them. Oh, yeah, definitely. The goal of UnitySync is to provide an organization with a unified view of their different directories. UnitySync can scale from a small directory with hundreds of objects to something like the enterprise scale, consisting of hundreds of thousands of objects without requiring any kind of extensive training. It's got a super easy-to-use web UI. You load it on your Linux box or a Windows box. 
log into the web UI, set up your commands, run dry runs, get email reports, check on what's going on, interact with the Perl scripting interface if you want to go even deeper, and then synchronize directories. It's, that's really what it's all about. You can get the different account information between directories, so each information contains a unified view. You could just do single attributes. By defining an authoritative data source, you can have one system update individual attributes of both existing objects of another and you can also do both. Of course, it works on Active Directory, Exchange 5.5 if you've got an old Exchange box, Oracle's Internet Directory, Zimbra, which I love. Wow. We haven't been talking a lot, but we, I love it. Uh, Lotus Groupwise, Microsoft SQL, Microsoft Access, which, oh my God, that would have saved me so much time. Oracle oh, Sybase. Oh, no kidding, right? Access alone. Jeez. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the, initial, the initial front-end teller system that uh, the bank that I worked at had all ran off of Access, and each... Each um, branch required, because of that, each branch required its own terminal server with its own uh, access database. So at one point, we literally had 44 different access databases for each you know, for each branch, and then we would have to pull data together from all of those. I mean, oh. Unity Sync would have literally saved multiple jobs. I mean, it's, it is absolutely incredible. Uh, so if, you, if, you, if you're not a programmer, no problem. But if you are, then you can get into that Perl interface. You throw it on your Linux box, enterprise-grade software under five megabytes, some huge customers. Go over to derwiz.com slash unitysync. Check out that customer list, and then you know what I'm talking about. The companies in that list are quite impressive, and uh, I got a good deal for you too. If you click on that download link, enter in the code Linux, and you'll get a 30-day trial, an extended trial, and your first year of maintenance for free if you decide to pull the trigger. That's a pretty good nice. deal. Yeah. So thanks to Directory Wizards for sponsoring Linux Action Show. Love to see this kind of software. And by the way, moved over to Linux based on customer demand. Ported to Linux and built from the ground up to be a great Linux solution, and it runs right on that machine. It's super easy to use with that web interface too. So go to derwiz.com and check out Unity Sync. You probably become the hero of your IT department. Nice. Oh, I would think so. I mean, yeah. imagine not only time you're saving, but the, just the amount of man hours and dollars. I know, right? Uh, okay, uh, Mumble Room. Last chance before we move on to our final topic for the day. Uh, anybody got anything they want to add to the conversation? I just wanted to say, if I can, yeah, go ahead. that um, it's very clear to me that if we're talking about new users, mm-hmm. that we're talking about a Windows-like experience where the elements of the forms don't move into like the header bar like they also are going to do now in, in GNOME 3, which is why I don't like that. Uh, and that the doc thing, that's very Mac-like. If mm-hmm. people move to Mac, that's also very different. But if people move to Mac, that's a conscious decision. If people move to Linux, they're already skeptical. That's an excellent point. <laughs> Actually, that's an excellent point. So where does that leave us then? So if you're saying, what you're saying is maybe it's futile to try to emulate uh, the legacy desktop. Or are you saying if we don't emulate the legacy desktop, then we won't be that refuge? I think things like Cinnamon are a very good incentive uh, for people to move from Windows XP to Linux, and that's why I think things like Cinnamon are good. Um, And also desktops like Unity are very good for people that like them, but they're not very good for new users because the close button suddenly moves into the top uh, into the top right. banner and yeah. people lose it and stuff. Moving moving UI elements kills, uh, you know, and 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 hiding elements. And Canonical knows this is a bad practice, but the way they hide that that file and edit menu, users. This is why Windows Eight has suffered. They, uh, you know, they are not like. Uh, the techies that we want to dig in and we want to find. I, I love finding all the Easter eggs in in uh, like every almost every other day. I discover something completely new about KDE and it, and it's just so awesome. 
right? That is not their outlook at all. That That is not a good thing in their mind. They, if, if an UI element moves to them, they're not going to go hunting for it. They're not going to tuck their mouse in the corner to see what happens. They're not going to hover over a blank area and see if all of a sudden a mythical menu that should or should not be there pops up. Or is it in the gear this time? I'm not quite sure. This is This, this doesn't work. Well, I think it's a great point because it's like the way we look at computers is the way a uh, chef might look at uh, gourmet cooking. Um, you know, I burn cereal. I literally pour, pour it in a bowl and it sets itself on fire. <laughs> it's just not my skill set. And so not everybody's going to want an advanced experience in everything they do. Um, some people do. Some people don't. And so I think computers definitely fall into that category. And I, I agree completely that for newer users, uh, the stick and the carrot really is a desktop that feels – similar to where they're coming from. I think that's more appealing in getting them to try something newer to make the switch completely. All right, but then let me ask you this. Maybe Canonical's right all along. Maybe Microsoft is right. Maybe they shouldn't have fired Bomber because maybe <laughs> the only answer really is is <laughs> screw us old fogies. We, you know, yeah. somebody in in the YouTube comments said, you know, 5 years from now we're going to look back at the yesterday's episode of Linux Action Show and think it was quaint that we had all these opinions about convergence. Sure. Um, because we're we're sticking the muds. Is essentially what he's saying. You guys are sticking the muds. This is the, the this problem you guys are trying to solve. Is this UI good for new users or is that guy UI not? You know, eliminate all of it. Just get rid of all of it and just reboot. You have one device. You learn to use that device. It does multiple things. You learn it once and you just use that thing to do all those. Well, let me let me paint you a very, very real picture. And it actually involves an article about the myth that young people are really great with computers. They actually showed that that was false. They're really good with mobile devices. They're not good with computers. They're absolutely useless with computers. And that's because that's how they were they were brought up into the touch thing that Chris and I have talked about on the show. Now, ad- uh, the adults, the people that you know are uh, that were brought up with you know keyboards and mice and whatnot. That's the world we live in, and unless something's changed and we've become Lord of the Flies, the kids have not taken over quite yet. So we have a transition period that we still need to cater to people that still want to use things in a legacy fashion. Yeah. Now, for the future, I completely agree yeah, maybe. that we're going to laugh at the way we used computers. I totally understand that, but we need you can't just tur- you know, go hot to cold water. You need to warm it up a little bit. You need to make that transition slow, and I think that's what Ubuntu is trying to do with, you know, with their uh, – you know, integration with the desktop and the phone and all that but you know what they did with unity was they pushed pretty hard and it's fine and it's serving its purpose and whatnot but i think that people coming from windows you're still leaving a lot of them on the table you know a lot of people aren't going to necessarily adapt themselves to unity right out of the box so i'm not running hot and cold on any one subject i i believe there's a time and place for everything but i think that this well you're either in one camp or another it's just it's just silly um, yes, this is actually the article. <laughs> there you and, go. This is, and, and read it. It will. It will. I right, challenge, challenge anyone. Yeah. You absolutely. know, I, I spent time. I think I mentioned it recently. I spent time uh, at, uh, at at uh, the local school district, and I definitely mm-hmm. felt that. I definitely felt like kids were good with mobile, but they actually just. It wasn't that they were bad with computers. They just didn't hold any interest. There was, when I say they're bad, I, my nephew, 16 years old, very bright, um, can figure. he's shown me stuff on my Android phone that I didn't know about. You park him in front of any operating system, I pop open a terminal or I do anything remotely like installing a driver and he thinks I'm a hacker. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is our future. And so read this article. I, I'll, I'll just leave it there. Read this article. I will, link it, yeah. I will link it in the show notes for folks, um, and which I've, I've been putting it. together at this show. No show notes ahead of time, assembling them as I go. Yeah. How about no, that, man? great. 
Good stuff. But yeah, I mean, long story short, uh, different strokes for different folks. I mean, that's really what I'm saying. I'm not belittling any one thing or nothing of that sort. I'm just simply saying there are no absolutes in this space. There really right. aren't. Yeah. And uh, I want to, uh, I just want to, before we wrap up for the day, because I don't think we're going to get to the desktop customizing stuff, but maybe oh, sure. we'll talk about that maybe next week. Yeah, we got, yeah. You got, we got more show coming. We got, there's more oh, show. show. <laughs> but one thing that really did quite well, uh, the bit message segment seemed to play really well with the audience. Um, so yeah. uh, looking, looking at my bit messages right now, they've been rolling in all day. I've been That's getting, awesome. I've been people trying it out. Um, so also sent along, we were talking about um, one of the things that was kind of holding bit message back potentially would be um, – the integration with existing services that way you could have like essentially like a multi client like Thunderbird could have a bit message option right and I love the, that idea yeah so uh, anonymous on bit message because using bit message if you want to but you can be totally anonymous he says uh, I found something interesting that you might be able to use with bit message is called bit message email gateway it allows you to view your bit messages in an email client such as Thunderbird Outlook etc you just have to enable the bit message client API which is easy to do by adding a few settings in a dat file. Also, the developer of this program has a hosted solution with a webmail UI for sending and receiving bit messages. Plus, it also supports sending and receiving regular email as well. There's a hosted solution at bitmessage.ch, and there is a uh, ho- and then a, also a version you can download the code yourself. Interesting. I love that. Yeah, I, boy, I'm going to check that out. So, bitmessage.ch for the. Uh, I'm going to go. Let's go look at that yeah, right sh- now. Maybe show notes that sucker too. Yeah, that sounds I will. really cool. Uh, and, uh, we also got, uh, just like tons of people like, Hey, how's it going? I'm trying out bit messages. Write, <laughs> me ba- cool. write me back. So I know it works, you know? And, uh, so I do, I try to at least cause yeah. I don't want them to think it doesn't work. Why don't I'm going to open up one. So here was a bit message we got in, uh, at uh, one PM today it says, hello, Chris and Matt. Uh, in your last show, you've been very busy complaining about Canonicals, Ubuntu edge, Indiegogo cam- campaign. And I have two things to say about that. Number one, point. I have another theory that the, why the campaign failed. There could okay. be the possibility that Canonical set the goal at $32 million on purpose so it doesn't succeed because they may not really be willing to take their own phone to make their own phone at all. I think they just mm. did this campaign to get, a public, to get public attention and the attention of mobile service providers out there so they could get software delivered at all. I really don't want uh, – number two, I really don't want you to turn Linux Action Show into the Ubuntu Edge show. Maybe you could sure. focus a bit, a bit less on Ubuntu Edge. Well, it's funny. Why would you be writing that in at the end of the campaign? Like, obviously, the campaign's over. It ran for 30 yeah. days. So we covered it during its run, and now it's done. <laughs> like, but now you write it at the still, end of it and say, don't cover anymore. It's over. <laughs> it, it's over, so we won't be covering it. I, I think he was afraid that we might have additional uh, afterthoughts. You which mean like we're doing we right carry, now? <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we have this show. So it allows us to not have to loop it into an entire another uh, last Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. You know, I, it's his, now as far as his point, you know, honestly, that would make whoever is in charge of this stuff brilliant. You know, whoever comes up with these schemes. Um, now that being said, boy, you know, I don't know it, <laughs> that that's a pretty big stretch, but it would be an interesting point. Is Max is not the first person to make this suggestion. Uh, I have also seen that this was memory. I mean, I, I have, I have watched somebody I know make one embarrassing, embarrassing public disaster of a situation after another. And yet the PR only seems to continue on. I mean, it only seems – there never seems to be a negative cost to it. So I have sort of come around to the potential that perhaps all PR is good PR. And there, so maybe he's – I mean, Shuttleworth has to be crazy like a fox. And do you remember all those Macs mm-hmm. we saw in the promo video? I mean, remember how they <laughs> yeah. had – I had all the funny. drawings on them. I mean, they were really yeah. working on it. So I don't know yeah. if 
I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, because that to me isn't brilliant. And so, you know, it's kind of a wash to where if this was done – and this is – I've you know, been part of similar things in the past. So I, if that – what he was describing and that's why I say if he did, it was brilliant because I've, I've been a part of that sort of stuff and that is really brilliant. It wasn't my idea. It was somebody else's. But point being, I don't think that they have the wherewithal to actually put that together at this point. I don't – I think that – it's Shuttleworth's way or the highway, and I don't mean that with a derogatory statement. I mean that that's he's the he's the lead vision for the company, and the direction he wants to go is the direction they're going to go. And I don't think that's something he would come up with on his own. I you know don't what would have been awesome. I don't think so. I yeah. think what might have maybe made a bit of a difference is long time ago. One of the things that kind of put Ubuntu on the path of legitimacy is Shuttleworth like like escrowed some funds for the for the project. Like here's money. That I have dedicated to the project. You remember this? Like, I do remember this, and it was much more transparent and visible back then. Yeah. Yes. If there was something like that, that's like here is a very public display of Canonical's ongoing commitment to making a very, very good desktop. Here it is. Here's an escrow account. I have funded this division of Canonical. They will operate as if they were, you know, they like they are just their own division. They can continue to work uh, their asses off while we focus on mobile, and they'll focus on that. And we'll we'll meet up in the middle. And exactly. here's the thing. And maybe that's exactly how it's structured, and maybe not. Don't know. Well, so that's the whole point of it. Is they're you know they're always talking about transparency, but I've yet to see the po- the podcast shows about the latest stuff they're working on. That is you know not you know that they can talk about, of course. Um, I want to see more behind the scenes stuff. I want to see these guys using their own product for one for God's sakes. I mean, I don't really ever see that. I see a lot of Macs, but I don't see I don't see a lot of Ubuntu usage. And you know, I, I want to see more of that in their uh, transparency approach. I want to see a podcast. I want to see uh, yeah, not not just audio, but I want to see video. I want to see actual footage of them using their stuff, uh, brainstorming, bouncing ideas, shooting down ideas, accepting ideas. I want to actually feel like I'm part of that experience. Bring that to me. That's what I want. Hmm. You know, yeah, it's good. It is a good opportunity. You know, they could be the. This is going to sound so corny when I say it, but if you sure. give it some thought, maybe it's not so corny. They could be the social company they could be the social operating system company i don't mean make a bunch of twitter integration into into ubuntu what i mean is they could they're lean and scrappy enough that they could be utilizing well i mean they do utilize g plus and youtube quite a bit but i i, I they talk at you it's yeah, not exactly not effective. exactly yeah it really isn't yeah all right well let's get off the, i really i'm really yeah. getting sick of talking about canonical <laughs> me too yeah. so I hope if you've been burned out on it, I've I feel like I'm spent. So I think we're right we're there with you. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, one last email I just want to cover because it's kind of oh. positive. The bright future of Linux servers came in via BitMessage. Oh, we got a lot of emails too. God, gonna, this is crazy, Matt. <laughs> Maybe next week we will only do emails. I don't That's know. That's probably a good way to kind of clean out some of it's the. It's too fun right? though. We're just having too much fun. Yeah, and yeah. and you know we can spread it out too. That's Whatever. true. That's true. We got we got a long haul ahead of us. All right, Mike B here says uh, he's a new supporter of Unfiltered, by the way, which we appreciate that, Mike. He says he's currently got a Xeon E3 server at home. He runs a ZOL and uh, with which is which is uh, RAID Z2, as Alan would say. That is a, what that breaks down to is eight two terabyte Western Digital Red Red drives. So he's got eight two terabyte Red uh, Red drives. Red drives. Two terabyte Red drives. Uh, Sixteen gigabytes of RAM, and he's running Ubuntu twelve oh four. Server host, uh, like a, it's like a NAS, a BitTorrent, Usenet, SickBeard, SpotWeb, Sab, and ZB. Awesome. Oh, wow. Nice. nice. Mumble server, an IRC server, Nginx. Ooh. Dude's got it loaded, right? Hook me up. I know. Yeah, that's awesome. He says he's been looking to try to migrate his data off of Google. Um, you know, he doesn't like getting tied into that uh, 
you know, ecosystem. He says sure. he's worried about data leakage, but he says crawling away seems really difficult. Therefore, I've been looking to set up a mail server implementation with OpenVPN and SSH and give some replacements. One thing I've been uh, unsatisfied about is the lack of isolation I have on the server. Several of the apps I run are straight off of the Git repos, and everything is executed at the same user space. Per your mention of Docker on last episode a few weeks ago, I've begun to move my applications into their own containers. I feel the data security on a VPS is an issue that isn't mentioned enough. Like the old saying goes, if someone has physical access to all your servers, all bets are off. I, I do agree. It kind of depends, I suppose, how the VPS works. Like, if it's a Zen level or KVM VPS, you know, where you are in your own isolated KVM machine, I'm a little less worried about that. If it's user space applications that are simply running as a Matt user, Chris user type VPS, that I definitely worry about a lot. That would be a concern, sure. It's interesting. He goes on to talk a little bit more about uh, Docker. Um, and and uh, Michael Dominic from Coda Radio is currently working on a project, and he's investigating the use of Docker. Remember, we covered Docker. We had that I do photo with the rainbow. Make oh yes, yeah, that oh, was yes. great. Uh, Docker is huge. He says it isn't touted enough as removing the barriers of application packaging. I can choose per container targets to target the best stream of packages updates for that particular app. It's OS agnostic, Yum, Deb, Targiz, Pacman, whatever. It doesn't matter. So what he's saying here is, uh, you could be on Fedora 18. And I could be on my latest, greatest arch, and I could package up BitMessage and put it in a Docker container and send it over to you, and you could deploy that Docker container and run it just fine on your machine because all of the dependencies, all of the executables, the arch environment would list would exist in that Docker container to the extent they are different from your machine. That would be fantastic. So it could be a really cool way to deploy software. Oh, I'd say I can't see a better way. I mean, that sounds awesome. And everything's in a, in a, is is contained within that security zone too. Um, so he says, "Sorry to frustrate Alan, but he thinks that the Linux future looks brighter than BSD <laughs> and ZFS being enterprise ready and working on Linux is just a win-win for Linux." So all in all, he says, "Keep up the great work on Jupiter Broadcasting." Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. and I, I would I disagree somewhat. I think that BSD and Linux cater to different needs, different folks, different. They just cater differently, you know. So I can't say one's brighter than the other. I, I definitely could not say that. I think they're both very bright, though. And I may or may not say that there could be a BSD podcast in the near future. I, I don't know. Who knows? Know. How could somebody? Yeah. How could somebody know that? Who? Rumors. Who would know that? Who? Who would possibly have knowledge of that kind of thing coming? Yeah, not imagine. I mean, the speculation alone. Goodness. I know the speculation could just get ridiculous. And if there were people that the community loved that were going to be on the show on a regular right. basis, that would be really outlandish. And I don't know why people are getting that from Matt. Anarchy. I'm a little incensed. People are just making <laughs> what? What did Alan say in the chat room? What did Alan say in the chat room? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know who this Alan guy is. I don't know who you guys are talking Alan, about. Alan who? Not familiar with Alan. Not familiar. <laughs> don't know any Alan. All right. So I put the uh, story of my KDE troubles in the show notes. If people are curious of the process I went through and the packages I updated and how I fixed it in case you have that same problem, you can just copy my commands if you want. Just be careful. I uh, claim no warranty. I also put links to the email gateway for BitMessage, uh, Oleg's thoughts on our Ubuntu Edge coverage, the kids can't use computers and why that should worry you article Matt mentioned, as well as the BitMessage email gateway. And I also want to give a special mention to that wiki page. People are starting to work on it right now, which is awesome. We'll be talking about more. If you didn't know, which I doubt at this point, but we created a uh, wiki entry over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com, and we are trying to get the community to come together on really fleshing out all of the different options and solutions for rolling your own email system, You know, taking, taking your email back onto your LAN or putting it on a VPS, whatever is best for your situation, whatever that might be, and 
how to do that, what software is available, what things have people tried, what worked best, what didn't work, uh, what do people need to know about DNS-wise, what do people need to know about spam filter, all that kind of stuff. We want to make a living document repository of this kind of thing. So that way, as it comes up, which I, for some reason, suspect it will more and more, um, we have something, we have a resource to point people towards, something that is up to date and current. Oh, I'm excited about it because really I've, I've looked at other attempts and they never really hit the mark. They're always missing massive components or things you need to know. And the way ours is shaping up, I'm really excited about the prospect of it. I'm looking forward to running it myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've been, uh, I haven't really picked a, I haven't really picked a, a domain name yet that I'm going to use for my home, but the wife and I have been kicking around a few ideas. So I'm going to, I'm going to use our uh, Linux 249. I'm going to pick up a dot com. I'm going to get, you know, it's so just, I, I'm just going to start fresh. I'm going to yeah. give it out to some people. The email address. I'll probably let it slip on the show on accident. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Whatever. But like right now, my quote unquote personal email account, my Gmail, is a mess. It's decimated, Matt. It's decimated. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And then my business email gets all the show emails. So like that's decimated, man. It's decimated. It's just decimated. Well, and I try and keep mine pretty carefully quiet. I have a contact page I hand out, and some people have my personal, and it's fine. But I don't. I try. I try to keep it under control because I can still manage it right now. So well, I thankfully uh, early on G Plus had this little thing, or Buzz had this little thing that uh, just like released oh. my email address to the public, so everybody oh, had it. So no. I was like, ah, all right, I'm done with that. See, that was your problem. You you, you participated in Buzz. I, I I was Buzzless. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> uh, so if you want to go over to the wiki, it's linked right now. I'll, you know what? I'm going to link it in the show notes too, but it'll also be linked at the top of the Linux Action Show subreddit. It's a wiki. So you go into the self... In fact, I'll link right to the self-hosted email section. You go in there and just start working. You create the page, and then you link it, just like you would on a regular wiki. One little thing that's different, I love it, but it's probably going to be weird for somebody who's used to using like a Wikipedia or something. It uses Markdown for the uh, formatting. Markdown's awesome. Um, we use it for all of our show notes. So they actually, right. the really kind of nice thing about uh, the wiki that we're creating over there is I can literally go in and edit a post and copy line by line the Markdown and paste it. Like if we needed like a reference for our show notes and I can paste it directly into the show notes and it will be formatted perfectly for the, for the post. Oh, that um, makes for a nice smooth transition yeah, going so, back and forth. So it's a little wonky maybe if you're new to Markdown, but for the production purposes of the show, it's actually extremely convenient. So I figured since we already have a good uh, community over on the Linux Action Show subreddit, that was a good spot to toss it. I wasn't sure where I was thinking, it wasn't sure where to put it at first, but that just seemed like a good spot for it to go. So we'll have that link too in the show notes. Definitely. Well, and if you're you know new to the Markdown thing, just Google around. The, once you get used to the syntax, it's really not that bad. Yeah, and uh, there's some really good um, online Markdown preview utilities, so you can you can experiment like in one pane. It's If you search Markdown online preview or something like that, preview online, uh, one pane is the Markdown code. One pane is the HTML code. And you can, in real time, tweak your Markdown and see how it formats in HTML. It's super nice JavaScript. Don't need to load any software. Wham, nice. bam. Thank you, ma'am. Well, uh, Matt, I think uh, we'll leave it at that today. But we're going to maybe uh, hang out a little bit with the guys on Mumble after the show. Yeah. So it's not all, it's not, we're not all done, but we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up the recording. Thank you guys for joining us today. Matt, thank you for joining me. Don't forget Tuesday next week. Tuesday, got the note, got the calendar. We're all set. We're moving. I'll update the Jupiter Broadcasting calendar right after we get off the air. Email us Linux Action Show at JupiterBroadcasting.com or send us a bit message or start a thread in that subreddit. We're in there all the time. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Hey, thanks for joining us for Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here on Monday, or Tuesday, actually. And we'll see you Tuesday. on Sunday for the big show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.